Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. I am so excited that you are here. And along the theme of what we've been doing all October in honor of National Women's Small Business Month, I am continuing the series by introducing you to some of the kick-ass female entrepreneurs that have really inspired me that I have a feeling will inspire you too. This week on the show, I am introducing you to my new friend, Jess Ekstrom, who I recently met in person at the Fueled Women's Conference in Owensboro. Kentucky. I had the incredible honor of speaking at the event with her and getting to meet her in person. And y'all, you're going to love this episode because Jess is an incredible speaker, an incredible businesswoman, but she just has a heart of gold. And I know you're going to leave this episode feeling so inspired. A little bit about Jess. She is the founder and CEO of Headbands of Hope. She is a best-selling author of a book called Chasing the Bright Side and a creator of online courses and communities that help women become keynote speakers, get book deals, and use guided journaling for self-discovery and growth. And y'all, one of my favorite things about Jess is that her, her husband, and their dog lived in an Airstream full-time for over two years traveling the country, which you've probably heard me mention is a little bit of a dream of mine. So needless to say, I love her and I think you're going to love her too. Without further ado, let's dive on in. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. All right, Jess, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I feel like the moment that we met, like in the bathroom stalls at Field Women, it was just destined to be together for sure. So many parallels. I am just so glad that you mentioned that because I forgot that our first official meeting was in the bathroom. It like takes me back to college. I don't know if you had a similar experience, but I feel like I just made so many friends with other women in the bathrooms at college oh my gosh. parties. And <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm like, what is it about the bathroom that makes it feel like such a safe space where you just like, I don't know. It, it's I remember just sitting there on the bathroom stall and talking to you through it. and We had never met before. It was great. Basically instantly best friends all started in the bathroom in Owensboro, Kentucky. Gosh, I love that so much. Thank you for reminding me that. That makes me so happy. Um, So I already gave people a little bit of a taste of who you are, but I would love for you to introduce yourself for people that have no idea who the heck is Jess Ekstrom. Well, I'm still discovering that as well, but I'll give give it a shot. Um, So I would say the like remixed to my story is I was interning at the Make-A-Wish Foundation when I was in college and I was seeing a lot of kids that would lose their hair to chemotherapy and they'd be offered a wig or they'd be given a hat. And a lot of them really didn't care about covering up their heads. They just wanted something to feel good about themselves, you know, after hair loss. And so I would see so many of them wearing headbands and I just thought it was like, such a cool gesture of confidence that they just wanted to wear these headbands. And I remember looking up like headbands for kids with cancer and couldn't find anything. And about a week or two before Blake, the founder of Tom Shoes, you know, who's not named Tom, <laughs> spoke at my school and about, he talked about this like one for one model that he created with shoes and that he wanted other businesses like for profit to bake, you know, social responsibility into their business model and use this like one for one. And so I remember being like, oh, I can just do, you know, what what Blake did. I call it like the dumbest, smartest moment of my life. I was so not thinking about what could go wrong, just what could go right, uh, which is you know, definitely a blessing, but has its downsides too. So I started Headbands of Hope. And for every headband sold, we donate one to a child with an illness. And um, a a lot happened in between, but kind of where it led me to today is Headbands of Hope is still going strong. We have over a million headbands donated. But I realized that the story of starting Headbands of Hope and just like the grittiness and like the dorm room startup and like not knowing what I'm doing, kind of like throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks was actually a really impactful product in itself. 
And so I started speaking and, uh, you know, I didn't even realize that that was like a, a business model. And then I got a book deal with HarperCollins for Chasing the Bright Side. And then I was doing all these things on stages and, and writing and realized that there was just not a lot of women in it. Uh, so that's what led me to start Mic Drop Workshop, which is my online course and community for women to get keynote speeches and also book deals. And then the pandemic hit. And when I was during the pandemic, as I'm sure you were, like had no idea which way I was up, wasn't sure what was going on in my business. And the thing that really helped me was writing about it, which I know you're a huge proponent of journaling, which I love. Um, so I started to look for different online journals and tangible journals to see what worked for me. And the thing that I wasn't finding out there was I wanted a journal that helped me with like my ideas and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to create. Um, I wanted to go down paths with different like focuses that I was interested in. And I found that like the prompts and things that were out there were just daily prompts um, that didn't really have any correlation to each other. And I'm like, you know, I want to be able to dive into an interest. And so I started Bright Pages, which is a guided online journal um, for doers and creators. So you can take like different prompt pathways, which I know you're going to create one, which I love. Like, for example, if you want to start a podcast, you can take a podcaster's pathway and get journaling questions about your podcast. Or if you're having anxiety, you can take one of those pathways. And so you can journal with like what you want to create. So that's the remix to Ignition, like my story and I know it's a lot and it's been a wild roller coaster and now here we are. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it so much. There are so many things that I want to talk to you about and I know we I can't sit here and talk to you for like a full 24 hours. So the first thing I want to ask you though, it's so easy for someone to meet you for the first time or to see you speaking on stage or watch you on mm -hmm. social media and look at all of the incredible, beautiful things that you've created, whether it's the businesses that you're now using to support, support other women to do similar things as you, whether it's seeing your beautiful book on the shelf at a bookstore, or whether it's seeing this incredible business with so much purpose behind it, selling headbands in Ulta and all these places. Like it's so easy to look and be like, Jess, is so successful. Like what a beautiful thing she's created. And it's easy to see this like shiny thing that is you now. And I'm sure that you have so much growth and, and changes you want to, to make and, you know, even headed looking forward. But I want us to take a step back because you said that the, the road hasn't maybe always been so shiny. <laughs> and I think not. that there's like with entrepreneurship, I feel like we we see the beginning. People are like, oh, I want to start a business. And then we see the end of them being you know, successful, whatever that looks like for them. And I feel like the thing that sometimes we miss is this messy middle part. And I'd love to ask you, you know, every entrepreneur has its fair share of failures and hard lessons learned along the way. And I'm sure you've had plenty, but can you give us an insight of what was what did part of that messy middle look like for you? What was maybe one of the the hard seasons that you had to walk through as an entrepreneur that's helped you get here, but maybe didn't feel so good in the moment. <laughs> totally. I mean, and sometimes I hesitate so much, even just sharing my, you know, what I'm doing or my story, because it does like put up this highlight reel that I'm just like, but if you have time to like grab a beer or coffee, I can tell you really what this has been like. And I mean, even just in the beginning of Headbands of Hope, I had the idea. I was like, you know, hiring college students to build me a logo and all this messy stuff. And then I found a manufacturer uh, to make the headbands and had been communicating with them. And when they sent me over the invoice for the first round of production, it was money that I like just straight up did not have. And so I thought I was going to either get like a loan from the bank or get an investment. And my dad actually ended up being my first investor for Headbands of Hope. He was like, I believe in this idea. He was an entrepreneur as well. And so I shook his hand. I took the money. I ran to the bank. I wired this. Uh, I wired this factory the money. And sorry if you can hear my dog barking in the background. But And I never heard from them again. Oh. Never heard from them again. And... It was like one of those moments where I was just like, you know, maybe this is a sign. Like maybe this is the the thing telling me that I shouldn't be shouldn't be doing this and that I'm not qualified to be here. And we ended up going to court and like all this other stuff and we ended up just spending more money than what we were losing. So we had to kind of cut our losses. But it took me so long to actually share that story because I thought that it 
proved that I was like playing dress up, you know, you know, sometimes when you feel like you're, I don't know, you put on a blazer and you're like, this is who I'm going to be today. Like I felt like I was playing dress up and that this was the thing that was going to out me. And, um, it wasn't until I had a speaking engagement that it was like for zero pay and, the teacher that I was like the class I was speaking at emailed me an hour before and said he like wasn't going to be there. And if I could just walk in and speak. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And I got like a parking ticket that day and it was like raining. I didn't have an umbrella. It was like, you know, if you had a TV show that was like, girl has bad day, like that was like what it would be. (laughs) And so I just, and up until that point, my speaking had been more like, if you have potential and if I can do it, you can do it. Like very talk show personality. And in that gig, I was so tired that I just told them what happened. I was like, you want to know like how I really started this company? And I told them this manufacturing story and just told them all the shit I did wrong. And like that was a speech that made me a speaker because I don't think we learn from people when they're at their best. We learn from them when they're at their worst. And it was, that was the kind of a turning point for me and like how I tell stories that we're not using speaking or these platforms to like make ourselves look good. It's like, how can we serve the audience? And sometimes that's by sharing our most honest moments. So it was definitely not uh, flowers and sunshine the whole time, but I think it also gives you moments to prove how bad you want it. Because if you didn't want it, then those would be times to just say, hey, not for me, which is totally cool too. I love that perspective so much because I think so many of us, when we come up against hardships, we have that same thought like you had, like, is this the universe telling me that this isn't the direction to go? But I love that you have this perspective of maybe this is the universe testing whether or not your belief or passion is really in this enough to keep going. And I know that it's hard like when you're in the thick of the messy, the, just the crappy days, the crappy moments, the days where you lose your butt by ac- like wiring money and having all these people. Like I can't imagine what it felt like that day. But it seems like on this side of it, like all of those experiences, they weren't for nothing. They mm-hmm. are now like interwoven into what makes you so great now, don't you think? Oh, for sure. And I think that we sometimes mess up at certain points in our life that prevent us from messing up in a bigger way. Like, uh, don't get me wrong. At the time, it was a lot of money. But now our POs and things that we sign for for manufacturing is like 10 times as much. And so I felt like I learned that lesson in the beginning so I wouldn't make that mistake early on. And so I think we can so, our brain always wants to say what was good or bad, what was right or wrong. You know, should I have done that or should I have not done that? Should I signed with this PR firm or not? And like you just, it's, it's so wants to be black or white, but really it can be both. Like, yeah, that was a shitty situation, but there was also a good side to it, mm-hmm. which it taught me a lot about contracts and 30% deposits and just proving how bad I want it. And then it also created this like almost like a culture, like a character trait of uh, we are the people that figure it out. So in January, we had a, uh, we had our first airing on HSN and uh, we they had ordered the, these certain these custom headbands and they had to be in this warehouse by Friday for HSN. And for some reason, like our a delivery driver, instead of dropping them off at our warehouse, he thought that they were Amazon boxes and he dropped them off at an Amazon fulfillment center, which is like literally going into a dark hole of packages. And we were not going to go on the show if we didn't get these boxes. And the delivery person like was like, sorry, you know, I don't know what to do. They're, they're gone. And so we literally like as a team, we're like, okay we're going to find these damn boxes. And I went on like LinkedIn and looked up anyone that had like an Amazon title beside their name. It was like, you don't know me, but like we're in North Carolina and our boxes were dropped off. Every single person in our team was like making calls to all these different people. I'm like, I'm surprised I didn't get like Bezos himself on the phone. He was, pro- <laughs> he was probably in space, but probably. yeah, all of a sudden we started getting, um, oh, and then one time I posted about it on Facebook and this girl's like, I babysit for someone who works in the distribution center. And like, 
all of a sudden our phones were ringing off the hook and these people that didn't even know us that worked at Amazon were like tracking down these boxes and we got them. Amazing. It was like something that I feel like if that manufacturing story hadn't happened at the beginning, like it's a ripple effect. Like it trains this hustle muscle that you're like, we're going to be the people that figure it out. And that's what we do. So it's definitely had become a part of the culture of me that I, I would like to think has spread to my team and the people that I hire. Oh, I love that. And I think, you know, I, I think I've maybe shared this on my podcast before, but I have this illustration that I'm hoping to put on merchandise some days because people really love it. But it's this picture of this cow that I watercolored. And have I showed this? I remember to you this? You okay. showed it at Field Women and I freaking love it. I actually think about it all the time. Okay. I'm gonna have to yeah. get it printed on something and I'll send you. I'll send you one. I would um, love it. I but would it's wear an it illustration of this cow, and the cow has taken a poop, right? Like it, there's this huge cow patty sitting behind this cow, but growing through it are these two daisies. And the idea, and it says below, it says grow through it. And the idea is that sometimes life hands us a crappy hand, right? Your am- your boxes are in a black hole of Amazon. But within that hardship, within that crappy hand that we've been dealt, there are nutrients that are nourishing us for our greatest growth yet. And so I just love the perspective that you have. And I think this is a testament to you as a person and also as a leader in in your business of saying like, yeah, this is shitty, but what are we going to learn from this? How is this going to make us better? How is it going to grow us or allow us to bloom into this, the best version of who we are? And I, I just continue to see that no matter what is thrown your way. And I love that that is something that is now overflowing to your company and your entire team. And I think also the people that you serve in a really big way. Thank you. I appreciate Yeah, I love that illustration. I've thought about it ever since you spoke. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I had to realize about myself is, or not about myself, about the process, is I always thought that as I get better, I'll mess up less. And that's not true. Or like, as I get better or more successful, I'll have less problems. And I don't, I, that hasn't been true for me. But what has become true is as I get better, as I keep, keep learning, the problems don't become less, but I learn how to handle them. Like the period of the sting becomes less or the bounce back period becomes less. It's not that the issues become in more infrequent. Um, I would say that sometimes when you're like reaching further and you keep kind of advancing levels, they become more, but you just become better at handling them. And so sometimes like if we want to make a big you know, life change. Like I go from starting, you know, a fashion company to starting, you know, a technology company with bright pages, you know, that's going to be prompted. You think that like, oh, that means like all of my issues with, you know, anything that deals with Headbands of Hope will go away and I'll have no more issues. And it's like, no, I don't make these changes to have no issues. I make changes in my life to have new issues. And like, that's what I think that we like we're never going to have zero problems. Mm -hmm. So let's get out of our head that we're going to arrive somewhere or make some sort of life change that's going to remove them. But what are the issues that we want to have? You know, like I I learned that I don't love having supply chain issues anymore or like fulfillment issues. That's not what gets me going. I want to figure out like how does someone respond to a journal prompt in their inbox and it comes into like their their archived journal. You know, they those are the issues that I want to be a part of. And so I think that that was a big turning point for me. It was like, let's not remove issues, but welcome new ones. Mm, I love that so much. I, It's kind of like the idea that you get to choose your heart too. And I feel like we always have this idea of like life is going to be better or easier once. Like once I reach this point in my business, all the issues are going to go away. But as the saying goes, new levels, new devils. And as you continue to rise and grow, it doesn't mean that the the mistakes or the hardships or the struggles are going to become more, more infrequent. They're just going to be different. And I love what you said about the bounce back piece. I talk about it in my community as uh, elasticity. Like instead of mm-hmm. saying like, I'm never going to make, mess- make, make a mistake, I'm never going to fail, saying, no, I'm a human. I have accepted that failure and mistakes are a part of the process. They're a part of the experience. But instead of allowing one mistake to snowball into, you know, I, I made a mistake. So now it's going to turn into a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad year. Like it's about, oh, I made a mistake. How can I bounce back? How can I increase my elasticity to bounce back faster and stronger on the other side of it? So I just, I love that perspective. Yeah. So stinking much. I, I love it too. And it's something I'm not good at, but like I, I heard, I can't remember where I heard it, but it was like, 
when you're about to give feedback with someone, you know, being a speaker or being a writer or being a human, (laughs) there's just like a lot of feedback that always happens, whether it's asked for or not. And so I used to get like really defensive if someone commented on like, you know, it would be great if you changed your speech to like, you know, this, or if you had a part about this, or, you know, in your book, like this part didn't really resonate with me. I feel like you needed more that, and I would get like, uh, you should have seen me when the first round of Chasing the Bright Side edits came back from HarperCollins. I like buried myself in a pile of blankets for like two days. I could not. It was just my biggest nightmare. It was just like red lines everywhere. But someone said one time, they're like, hey, let's enter into this feedback as if we are two surgeons and there's a body on the table. And I was like, wow, because that completely removes ego from all of it. It's like, literally, we are working on saving this body on the table. I'm not going to get offended if you think it's a stomach issue or heart. You know, it's about this this body. And so now I'm like, problems and things that happen in my business, I think that we're misled a lot where we feel like we have to completely self-identify with the things that we create. If we do, we will never get better at them because we will be too scared to hear what's wrong with them. And there will be something wrong with them. There's going to be something wrong with your speech, with your book, with your product. There will be. And so if we are too tightly wound into our own identity, into the things that we create, then we'll never be far enough away for them to make them better. And so I try actively now to just not fully identify myself with the things I create because I'm my own human outside of them. And if I can just become obsessed with solving a problem instead of creating a product, then I'll be a better entrepreneur for it. Oh, Jess, I think I needed this conversation today. I think I I personally need that reminder because it is, especially when you are the person that starts this business, especially when your business is so much like an extension of you and your own personal brand, gosh, it can be so easy to take things personally. And that isn't, like you said, it's not helpful. You get so caught up in the ego. And so- I I love that analogy of thinking about it like a body on the table and two surgeons. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like my husband and I've gotten better at it. He has not because he's like, you know, my number one cheerleader. If someone like posts something mean on Instagram, like one guy posted like I posted something about mic drop workshop and amplifying women voices. He's like, women should just shut up or something. And my husband's going down this rabbit hole of like, who is he? And what I was like, don't care. Like, why do you care? And so it's it's funny how you see your loved ones too, like yes. need to learn the same lesson. <laughs> that is funny. My husband is the exact same way. In fact, sometimes when I get comments, I just like don't even tell him because I'm like, it's not helpful. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I've stopped, I've stopped telling him. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. That is too funny. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into more of the goodness that Jess has going on, including her book, Bright Pages, which is going to be rebranded as Prompted and all the things. So hey, Hang out with us and we'll be right back to the show. Hey there, friends. I just wanted to pop in really quick and see if you're looking to ignite your transformation for creating a healthier life that you love from the inside out. If so, I've got some good news. If you're willing to give me 10 minutes a day for just five days, I just recently launched my new five-day kickstart. In five days, you're going to learn my signature coaching framework, helping hundreds of women around the world ditch diet culture. I'm also going to share the five action steps that you need to start doing right now to ignite that health transformation. And they're likely not what you've been taught from diet programs. And I'm also going to be giving you strategies to create lasting change in your life from the inside out. And the good news, friends, it's 100% free. If you're ready to join the free five-day kickstart, visit coachkaya.com to get started. Okay. Now, Jess, I feel like something that has already been a part of this conversation that we haven't specifically pointed out, which is really the entire basis of your book called Chasing the Bright Side, is optimism. And I really, I'm excited to talk to you about this because I am 
I used to say I'm a hopeless optimist, but I guess it would be a hopeful optimist, right? Because mm-hmm. optimists are hopeful. Um, and I personally believe in the power of optimism. And I know that this is like a huge piece of this book that you've written. And I want to just read the line that's on the back of your book. It says, one flicker of hope. That's all it takes to catapult yourself into the life you've always imagined. So tell us a little bit more about your belief of optimism, how optimism optimism has been a part of your life. And also like, tell us more about this book. How did this book come to life and where can we find it and read it or listen to it? All the things. Well, first I'll start off by saying, and I'm not sure if you're this way or not, but I am not a natural optimist. I'm a trained optimist. My husband is a natural optimist. He wakes up every morning and it's like, the sun is shining. The tank is clean. You know, like from like Finding Nemo. And I'm like, I need coffee. Like, don't talk to me for 10 minutes. But so I think that as kids, like we are all optimists because we don't have the data around failure. Like we don't have the life experiences to pull from. And so I remember as a kid being this natural optimist. And then all of a sudden things happen in your life where, I mean, you've told just these gut-wrenching, heartfelt stories of, you know, being on the plane. And like, it's just so many things that you shared in your talk that I could relate to in a different way of like, there's just these moments in your life where you start to gather data that you're like, maybe I'm not, you know, destined for greatness, or maybe things are harder than they're supposed to be. And for me, uh, one of those moments was when I was in high school, I found out that my uncle was the biggest financial fraud in history. And my family was dragged through a very, very public, very public scandal that um, 11 years later, we're still reaping the percussions of. And it was one of those things where I just totally like burst my bubble, you know, of what I thought was good and who I trusted and just, oh, if you work hard, you'll get, you know, your life will be good. And I saw my parents, you know, work really hard and start a business and that all go away. And so it really was tough to figure that out. And then when I was working at Make-A-Wish, I met this girl named Renee and she had a brain tumor and she wanted to uh, meet Sleeping Beauty. And unfortunately, she was too sick to go on her wish to Disney World. And I remember being in the office that day and just thinking like, you know, this can't be the story that we t- share about this. This can't be like how it goes. And I realized in that moment that we have these experiences in our life that we can't control. You know, we can't control what the weather is outside. We can't control if our flight gets in on time or we can't control if our dog is barking while we're trying to do a great podcast. <laughs> but our stories are how we internalize and respond to our experiences, which are our stories are 100% in our control. And so I don't think that optimism is about trying to, quote, optimize all your experiences. It is trying to write a story. And by taking all those experiences and saying, you know, like, what would this look like if it all worked out? And so that was that moment when, you know, I, I was with Renee and I realized that, you know, when we think about optimism, a lot of times we think about just bliss, you know, this like hearts and flowers and, and, you know, we see the good, but a lot of times optimism is needed most during the bad. And I truly believe that these hard times actually give us a choice. They can be the excuse as to why we do less, or they can be the reason as to why we do more. And optimism is training that muscle to categorize our experiences as to be the reason as to why we do more. So because of Renee, I noticed that girls would lose their hair and they'd they'd feel self-conscious. And so I started Headbands of Hope. And so why I wrote Chasing the Bright Side was because one, this wasn't something that came natural to me, but I realized that optimism wasn't a mood as much as it was a strategy and strategies Mm. can be learned. Um, So that was the goal of, of Chasing the Bright Side. And it's been a wild ride to have that book out there. And all of those deepest, darkest secrets that you never think everyone will know about you. It's just like, well, yeah, let's throw them in a book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I got the chills, Jess. That is – oh, that is so good. And and I love that you – I kind of love that you're not a natural optimist because I, I am a natural optimist, like 1,000%. 
My husband I wish I was. My husband, not so much. He says he's a realist. I say he's a pessimist. I guess it's all about perspective. <laughs> I am, I am, yeah, I am, I'm very much a natural optimist. But I think sometimes we we categorize ourselves or label ourselves of like, I am this. I am a realist, or I am a I don't I don't think anybody calls themselves a pessimist. Maybe some do. But I love that you said that this is a learned strategy. And I think that that gives people hope of like if you if you are someone who naturally has a hard time looking on the bright side, that doesn't mean that you can't foster or I guess strengthen that optimism muscle. It's not necessarily an identity. It's not a mood. I love that you shared that it's a strategy. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I did a podcast episode all about how thoughts shape our lives. And it's it's really kind of the same the same concept of we can't control our circumstances, but we're in control of, of how we think and feel about them. We're in control yeah. of our perspective. We're in control of our story. And I feel like that in itself is the most freeing feeling. It really is because if that's the case, then your life can be whatever you want it to be. You know, you're not like you, – you don't have to go whichever way the wind blows that morning. And I, I feel like for me, I know not like every moment of my day is going to be good, but that doesn't mean like you said it's going to be a bad day. And I think the thing that I – that might be helpful for some of you that I know is helpful for me is I aim for 70% good. And like, that is all I need. I don't need for my every day in my business to be perfect. I don't need for my marriage to be perfect. I don't need for my house to be in perfect order. I would love to have 70% of it good. And if 30% of it sucks, I'm okay with that. And I think that sometimes we like can mess ourselves up in thinking that like, happiness or success means that you're never going to do anything that you don't want to do again or that like you agree with everything that your partner says. And I just think that that's, if that's your metric, then you'll always feel disappointed. And so I just aim for like 70%. And sometimes, you know, I'll be going about a role in my life or in my work where it feels like 50. And so I'm like, okay, these are the changes that I need to make. I don't need it to be perfect, but how do I get to seven? And that's helped me. I I love that because I feel like there's this, I don't know, we paint this unrealistic picture of what life is supposed to look like, of what business is supposed to look like, of what marriage is supposed to look like. I'm recent, fairly recently married and I think that it's it's so easy to, and we have these high expectations that are unrealistic for anyone to meet or, you know, sometimes maybe it is really, really good and that's great, but I love the 70% thing. Well, I'm sure it, it applies to your health and well-being too. 1,000%. I'm not like I've done the diets or things where I'm like, I work out twice a day and I don't eat anything and no sugar. And then it's like, okay, I survived three days. But if I am just like, I'm aiming to be like 70% healthy and make good choices. And if I want to have a beer on the weekend, like whatever, then that's, that's how I'm choosing to have that 30%. You know? Oh, so true. And I think that when we when we give ourselves this pressure of like that all or nothing mentality, like you were talking about earlier, that is what sets us up to fail and give up. We say like, well, mm, already drank the beer or already had the cookie. I might as well chug six more beers or eat the rest of the sleeve of cookies. And I missed my workout and I might as well give up for the rest of the week. And I feel like if we just, if we had, if we met our goals or lived that healthy lifestyle 70% of the time, we'd be so much better off than this constant battle of trying to be 100 and then being 20 and then trying to be 100 and then being 20. Absolutely. And I think another part of that like myth that we tell ourselves is that there will be some euphoric job or passion that we somehow uncover a rock one day and it's like sitting there. And I think sometimes, especially with younger generations, like there's this pressure to like find your calling. And I'm like, I don't think that you have one calling. And I think that it can evolve and change. And it's about just like trying stuff. And I think that passion doesn't have to be found. It can be learned in what you're doing. Like you can learn to be passionate about what it is in your job today. Like you don't, you know, I think that people often think, and I and I have this mindset sometimes too, is that in order to find what I'm passionate about or my next thing, I have to totally start over or look for another job instead of taking the time of like, what what can I learn to be passionate about instead mm-hmm. of finding it elsewhere? 
if that yeah, makes sense. That totally makes sense. And I think that we sometimes get hooked, we get caught up in the lie of once of like, I will feel more fulfilled once I own my own business or once I lose the weight or once yada, 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 whatever that looks like for you, whatever, whatever your once is. But I love what you said of like, how can you learn to be passionate in the thing that you're doing now? How can you learn to find joy and fulfillment in the thing that you're doing now? Because, you know, there's always this belief of the grass is always greener, but every everything you pursue, even if it's something that you are really passionate about, there's going to be hard days in that as well. And it's totally a myth that life is going to be so wonderful and perfect once. Like, congratulations, you're still a human. I don't care if you're Oprah Winfrey or like just lost your house and you're living on the side of the street. Like life is always going to be good and bad. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's funny. That's what I've been kind of noodling on for my next book idea is like the destinational mindset of like, then when I'm here, then I'll be able to do this. And I lived that way for this nine years of running my business or even probably before that. And then it's like, all of a sudden you start reaching these places and you realize like, I'm not stopping and smelling the roses. And if I had known, like you said at the beginning of this podcast, it's like, oh, you see the things that you're doing on paper must be so great. And I'm like, how do I now sometimes I feel like my focus is not being more successful, it's feeling successful. Like Ooh. I want to feel the things that I've done instead of constantly chasing more. And so I think that it's like interesting that this book, Chasing the Bright Side, is really about like chasing and getting the things that you want out in the world. And now I feel like my phase of life, which is why I love thought leadership so much and speaking of writing is because your product change is as you change. Yeah. Is like this destinational mindset of how do we feel like we're there even when we want, we love progressing. Um, and that's something that it's like always a tug of war for me. Ooh, that is so good. And I, and I love that you said like what you create is, is it evolves as you do too. And just go ahead and put mm -hmm. me down for a pre-order for the next book, Jess. Um, <laughs> before we, before we pivot, and I, I really want to talk about this, um, this journaling, this new venture you created for journaling. But before we do that, I just want to ask you real quick, you wrote this book and obviously you just shared that you have another idea, another book that you're thinking about. Did you intentionally set out, try to book? Was this always something that you wanted to do? How did you decide like I'm, and I ask you this because I, one of my goals is to write a book as well. So how did that start? So it started when I was in sixth grade. I was like obsessed with the chicken soup for the soul books. Did you ever read those books? Yes, hundred percent. Oh my gosh. I loved them. And so I was like going ham on submitting <laughs> poems and short stories. And I finally got it. And I got published in Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul. And I kind of feel like I was actually writing about this today because I was writing about that story for um, a, a children's book that I'm writing, which I'm really excited about. But uh, it was like when I imagine a surfer catches their first wave and it's like a feeling that you never want to let go of. And I think that was like my first wave. And I loved the feeling of writing words and feeling like people will read them and think differently. Like that's just, I couldn't escape that. I, at that point, I didn't even know speaking was a thing. I was like, you mean I can just say it and I don't have to write it? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> like I talk all the time. So then, it, you know, I started speaking first. And then um, once I started speaking and kind of developing an audience, the meeting planners and people that booked me, they're always like, do you have a book that we can sell and things like that? So I first wrote a book that I swear, if you look it up, I will murder you, um, that I self-published <laughs> called The Freshman Fabulous. And it is God awful. <laughs> I was working or I was speaking a lot at colleges. And so I was like, let me just put everything I know into a college book for, for college students. And, um, <laughs> really bad, but got my name out there for a little bit. I think there's like a lot of like two-star reviews. But then um, then it wasn't until like a few years into my speaking career that I knew that I wanted to try to get a traditional publishing deal. So I started writing a proposal and finding an agent, had a lot of rejections, but eventually fine-tuned my idea. I, I'll say that I originally, my idea was like almost like telling other people's stories and working on this common thread and people were like, yeah, that's fine. But no one wants to read a, a bunch of series of stories. They want like a through line. And so it wasn't until someone was like, 
why don't you write about your own story? And I just hadn't even thought about that yet. And so that's where Chasing the Bright Side was born. But um, the book process is a journey. But the thing that I love about it too is that with speaking, you know, you're on for an hour and then you come off. With writing a book, like the legacy and the ripple effect and the intimacy is a little bit deeper. And it's just such a gift to feel like your words are going to, like they are just going to live forever for a while. Yeah. It's just, I, sometimes I still can't get over it. So cool. I love that. What, do you I, know what you want your book to be about? Well, I, I do want, I do know that I want my book to be about my own story. I don't know what my through line is yet specifically. I'm very much at the beginning part of that process. But, you know, in my story, it was reading a book that was kind of like my wake up call for me. And I just think it would be so cool to be able to give that back to someone else and to kind of, I guess, tell my story in a deeper way than I have before. Like it does feel very vulnerable, but also so impactful. And um, I'm I'm really excited. I'm also very nervous about the process. <laughs> I feel like there's lots of ups and downs in the book writing process for sure. So um, just look out for uh, me messaging you on one of those hard days being like, I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> I'm here for you. I definitely had people that were like that for me. So oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Okay. So besides writing books, um, I want to I wanna shift over and make sure that we talk about journaling because for, for myself, journaling was something that I started um, for the first time with consistency when I started my health journey too. And, and I believe in the power of journaling to my core. I think that journaling is what really helped me to reestablish a relationship with myself, um, really learn how to love myself and rediscover myself in a way. And it continues to be something that is an integral part of my own personal self-care, as well as like my business growth journey too, because I'm mm -hmm. learning so much about myself as an entrepreneur. And I know that you're a big believer in journaling as well, so much so in fact that you have created on are continuing to like perfect this this new, um, I guess, business venture for, for yourself that's all at the basis of journaling. So tell me more about your thoughts about journaling and what you've created to help support other people in that journey for themselves. Yeah. Well, I realized like to kind of segue these two stories together, like when I was writing Chasing the Bright Side and I had a manuscript deadline, I was waking up every morning and writing each day for like two hours before I opened my inbox, before I looked at my phone. And for that, those six months, it was like the healthiest mindset that I ever had. I mean, I wasn't getting overwhelmed. I was really handling problems well. Like I didn't feel like this internal drama in my head, but I honestly didn't connect the dots. I didn't know that I was like, oh yeah, I'm just like in a really good place right now. And then I turned in the manuscript and I didn't have a reason to write. And then all of a sudden I felt like this anxiety coming back and I felt really cluttered in the morning. And I was like, what the hell? Like what's going on? And then I was like, oh, it was because I was writing every day. And so that was when my hunt for the journaling began because I felt like when I would just open up a blank sheet of paper, I would write about what was wrong. And I don't know if you do that, but Sometimes, yeah. my mind, yeah, well, but again, you're a natural optimist. I am not. And so I would be like, screw this person. And I can't believe that, you know, they haven't eaten me back yet. And it was just like, it wasn't helpful for me. I mean, it was helpful in a way of like a brain dump. And so I was looking for, a, I wanted to be prompted to write about the things that I was interested in or that I wanted to focus on that week. And so that's where Bright Pages, which is, you know, now going to be prompted, was born where I was like, I want people and myself selfishly to pick different paths. Like if I am feeling like this week I have imposter syndrome, I want to start going down a, a path that helps me get out of this imposter syndrome. Because I think that in a world where we are constantly consuming, sometimes the answer isn't in another article or isn't in another social post that you have to read. It is the question that you need to ask yourself. Like we have a lot more answers than we feel like we do. And so sometimes it's not looking for more answers. It's looking for the right questions. So that's where bright pages slash prompted was born. And uh, anyone listening can get a free month at brightpages.com with the word climb. You can use that code. 
Oh, so cool. So basically Bright Pages, which again is going to be called Prompted. It's in the middle. This is <laughs> Yeah, we're in a puberty phase. Yeah. What's amazing about this though is that they get to kind of discover what it looks like to launch a product and to like fine tune it with you in real time. Totally. So that's what's happening right now. And so Bright Pages slash Prompted is it's an online journaling pathway. So Mm -hmm. you create an account online and then it basically gives you all these different pathways that you can go down, which is super excited because Jess also partners with other people to create these pathways for their zone of genius. And I'm so excited. I'm actually in the process of developing my own pathways that you can do through Bright Pages slash Prompted. And so, you know, there's a lot of women in my community that haven't done journaling before and they want to, but they're just like, what do I write about? They just look at a blank Mm -hmm. page and they're like, I don't know. And so I think that this is just such an incredible resource to help people, I think, get into journaling, but also have like start their journaling practice with a purpose and a direction. And yeah, I just think it's the coolest thing ever. And like the thing that I was also doing wrong when I was trying to journal was I would put a lot of pressure on myself to like write for hours or or write a certain amount of words. And with, with bright pages, it's like, I just even if it's like two sentences or whatever it might be, it's totally fine. Like strive for like maybe 15 minutes, but journaling can be like literally, you know, while you're sitting on the toilet in the morning and you want to like make some jots on your phone. We even have a function that emails you your prompt for that day and you can just reply to the email directly in your Gmail app or whatever it might be. And it'll archive it for you in your journal, you know, on bright pages slash prompted. So that was like, the other part that I wanted to be really work into the platform is like, I just want journaling to feel light and easy and not some daunting task. I also think that your 70% rule can apply really well here. Like don't, you don't have to be a hundred percent with journaling, just be 70%. And if it's bullet points, that's great. I also love that you said the toilet because like TMI, everyone, I swear, (laughs) I swear I, there's something about the toilet and the bathroom. And uh, this always comes back to the toilet for me and you, Jess, I guess. But <laughs> I feel most circle. Ins- right. I feel most inspired sometimes when I'm sitting on the toilet and Brent will be so, so annoyed. He'll like be out on the front porch. That's his creative spot. Okay. I'll go in to go pee and I like grab up my phone and I like, like, oh my gosh, this is such a good idea. And I'll like write down this whole thought idea. Five minutes later, Brent comes in and he's like, are you still on the toilet? I'm like, listen, I've had a creative moment. I'm almost done. (laughs) Yeah, doors closed. Don't come in here. Yeah, I feel like we definitely have a theme for this episode between that and the cow poop and all of it. You know, (laughs) it's true. I think that this is just maybe a theme of my life. I don't know. It always comes back to poop or the bathroom. But anyways, oh, I love it. And so, okay, so I just want to remind you because Jess mentioned it. But if you guys want to try out Bright Pages, which is going to be shifting to prompted in 2022, use the code CLIMB and you will get to try it for one month free. So if you want to explore journaling, if you want to explore journaling with a cause, with a path, with a direction, definitely make sure to check that out. It's brightpages.com, correct, Jess? Yep, that is it. So awesome. Jess, I have loved this conversation with you. Um, You are just such a light and a joy and you continue to inspire me in so many ways and all the amazing things that you're doing. Is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up that that maybe you could offer any new entrepreneur or someone who is wanting to um, pursue something from a place of passion or purpose or is maybe caught in that messy middle part right Mm. now? That's a good one. I would say... One of the golden rules that I like try to live by that I'm not always successful at, but here it is, is whatever it is that you're chasing or creating or wanting to build, whether it's a business or platform, if no one knew it was you, if you had to remove your name from it, would it still matter? And for me, that is something that like has been tough is to be able to distinguish if I'm doing something based on how it looks versus how it feels. And there's definitely things in my life where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing this because I feel like it's going to look good or whatever. And I'm not saying that we always have to not go, you know, do those things, but it's important to be conscious about um, attention versus success and that you can have one without the other. You know, you can do things that bring attention that don't bring success and you can also be silently successful. So that's something that I like to, a little trick I like to keep in my back pocket whenever I'm feeling like a little bit directionless or I'm wondering why I'm doing something. I'm like, if no one knew it was me, would it still matter? 
Mm. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. That to me, that is very helpful. So I appreciate that trick. And I feel like, I don't know, we live in this day and age too, where we live in like a social media world. And I feel like sometimes, and I don't know if this ever happens to you, Jess, I was just talking to my my good friend Courtney about this the other day, but like, it's so easy to get caught up in the social media world of like likes and shares and comments and how many people are following you. And it's so easy to get like slip into that ego mentality and get caught in this comparison trap. And when I find myself in a funk or like in a creative rut, I notice that it's it's oftentimes when I'm focusing on the wrong things, when I'm focusing on the wrong metrics of what success looks and feels like for me in my business, or when I just get caught up in creating versus consuming. When I'm creating or when I'm consuming all, and, and we are in a consumer world, right? There's We are always consuming things digitally. We always have things coming at us. And when I am consuming more than I'm creating for myself or my community or for this, this greater purpose than just looking good, that's when I find myself getting lost and getting stuck in this like yucky place. And it is like so ego-driven. And I, I love that question because I think that helps pull you out of it. It really does, or at least helps you get your own clarity. Like, cause sometimes I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna chase this like 10 women doing cool shit for business inside, you know, like, but at least if I know that this is not my end all be all, then I can have a healthier relationship with it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. we sometimes like in the line of work that we do, we gotta be on Instagram. We gotta be on whatever social media platform. Like I would love to be able to say, no, not for me. But as long as we have that relationship with it and we can clearly distinguish, you know, what's attention and what's success, then I think it's just helpful in how we think about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. So good. So Jess, um, for those that I know are going to want to connect with you, if they aren't already connected with you, where can people find you and all of the cool things that you've got going on? Yes, we'll definitely try Bright Pages at brightpages.com with the code CLIMB, but you can connect with me on Instagram at Jess underscore Ekstrom. Um, I also have a hype text that I send out every Monday if you need a little boost. You can text me the word HYPE to 704-228-9495 and you'll hear from me every Monday. Y'all, I cannot recommend those hype texts enough. So me and Jess actually are currently recording this episode on a Monday and I get a little sunshine from Jess every single Monday into my texts and it is like a short little text that is always exactly what I need to hear. So I cannot recommend them enough. She's not spammy at all. I swear you will be happy every time a notification comes from her. Oh, good. That means the world to me. Thank you. Well, Jess, thank you so much again for sharing your story and your heart and your wisdom. I I am feeling very inspired and my cup is definitely full and I know that my community is going to love it so much as well. Thank you for having me. So glad we met in the bathroom. <laughs> one day we'll, we'll be back in a bathroom together. <laughs> one day, one day. And also, Jess, I didn't even have time today to chat with you about the Airstream um, situation. Oh, for sure. But that'll be round two. That'll be round two. We're going to talk about that more, um, but I'm going to follow in your footsteps and have to learn all the things and have to convince Brent that he can survive without long, hot showers so that we can explore the country. Step into my office. I will convert him to the dark side for sure. <laughs> I love it. All right, everyone. We hope that you have an amazing week ahead and we will chat with you next week. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.